Welcome to He's Dead Jim, the podcast where we're watching Star Trek, the original series, one episode at a time. And brace yourselves this week because it's a weird one. Uh, I'm Mick McConnell and joining me as always is the wonderful Emily Lind. Hello. How's New York this evening? Uh, It's cold. Snowing? Not yet, but it is below freezing. Is it beginning to feel a lot like Christmas? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> How's the lyrics go? Toys in every store. Something, something, snow, something. Yeah. I was, I was raised on Bing Crosby. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> I, I remember I was about three years old. Um, first sort of memory of, you know, you read all the storybooks and all the TV shows and Christmas movies and it's all snow. And then of course, Australia, it's the height of summer and just got up. Why isn't it suddenly snowing? <laughs> totally see. ripped off. There's a tree in the Grand Hotel, one in the park as well. The sturdy kind that doesn't mind the snow. There we go. <laughs> I love that song. So good. You have to crack it up. <laughs> um, Emily, I've heard a rumor you are the proud owner of a PlayStation Classic. I am uh, so proud that I haven't actually played anything on it yet. Sacrilege. <laughs> How many days have you owned it? Well, the problem is that it came on a Monday. And mm. so I didn't have any time to really play. And I thought, oh, I'll devote a lot of time to it this weekend. And then I guess... A couple hours ago when I was cleaning up my apartment, I'm like, oh, yeah, I plugged this thing in and set it up and haven't turned it on yet. So I oh, made a really man. smart decision in spending $100 on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> You've got, uh, what is it? It's, it's only Saturday there. You've got a whole night and a day left to play Tekken 3. Tekken 3 and Final Fantasy 7, and those are the only two games in it I care about. Oh, man. I'm tempted to buy one. Even though I've already got the the Nintendo Classic Mini and the Super NES Classic Mini, and I've played both of those once, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so exciting! Well, you have to let us once you uh, unbox it. You'll have to give us a review. Are you going to do an unboxing video? Well, it's already unboxed and plugged in. I made sure it worked, and then I didn't do anything with it. There you go. You have to keep us posted. We'll look forward to the review. Uh, we've got a, another special guest joining us this week in the studio, our second ever studio guest, uh, all the way from the Sapphire City in New South Wales, he's Inverell's greatest son, teller of the darkest Christmas joke I think I've ever heard in my life. Please welcome comedian Chris Dooney Muldoon. Thank you, Mick. Thanks, Thanks so for much. that rock star. Welcome, mate. <laughs> he's very good Sorry, at introductions. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I'm a bit lost for words now. Um, the only true bit's probably the dark Christmas joke, I will admit to that. <laughs> um, let me tell you, mate, you haven't heard anything yet. <laughs> but, uh, it's for a select few crowds, those jokes. Uh, yeah, but thanks for having me. Thank you so Guys, much I'm excited. Up. I'm glad I'm not the first in in studio guest. Someone else could be the, um, you know, what do you call it, the trial What's the word that I'm looking for? The um, guinea pig. Yeah, the guinea pig. That's it. That's Although a, I heard in the news, Peter thing. don't want people using animals now. <laughs> God damn it! Did you see that? Did you see that <laughs> article, Emily? Yeah. So apparently, we should be saying that somebody else was the test tube. The test tube, <laughs> which isn't the same thing as guinea pig, but okay. 
Yeah. I was just thinking, <laughs> where, um, you know, I think about who uh, the first in-studio guest was. <laughs> I think he'd probably prefer to be known as the guinea pig than the test tube, wouldn't he? <laughs> Nick, <laughs> probably. It's a bit rough to call him the test tube. <laughs> it's like, yeah, first test tube baby. Yeah, the conception of. <laughs> How was Nick Carr conceived? <laughs> guinea pigs. I think he was forged in a volcano <laughs> in Mount Doom <laughs> in the middle of Mordor. <laughs> Dooney, I've dragged you in. I've sat you down on the couch, made you watch Star Trek. This is this is not your average Sunday, is it? For in the life of Dooney, no, no, I will admit, I will admit to that. Star Trek isn't the average weekend um, <laughs> weekend activity for me to partake in, and um, it's been interesting. You know, I'm there trying to remember all the characters and from years ago, and um, yeah. I don't know, I guess we'll get into the, this episode a little as we go along, but uh, it's just funny just to watch that and um, I mean, you haven't even said it was episode, what was it, 22? Uh, yeah. Return of the Archons? Yeah, 21, yeah. 22 20, on Netflix. 22. Um, and yeah, you, you landed on a fucking the, weird one. This week. <laughs> yeah. And like at the moment, after just watching it, the overall sort of feeling I have is, you know, no religion really works. Yeah. yeah. In, in practice. <laughs> There's always some hero who's going to come along and save the day. Like, yeah, yeah it's just, wow. Yeah. Anyway, but, um, yeah, I think we've probably uh, let go one of the um, more interesting habits, although that was a futuristic episode, but I, I, I don't know. It was a bit interesting, the idea of the six o'clock rock. <laughs> <laughs> That's, um, I think, something that could be embraced <laughs> in a diverse society. <laughs> Gee whiz. Ooh, bit of a, bit of a, like... Some shit goes down <laughs> yeah. when the town clock strikes six. Yeah, it's, it's six o'clock, I guess. Go commit <laughs> sexual assault. <laughs> oh, man. At <laughs> some um, festival. That is, um, yeah, guys, was that, I mean, what a word for it. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're not in festival. Oh, that's what you call it, eh? <laughs> oh, okay. It's like, <laughs> folks, if you if you're listening on with us and you're not watching every episode, you need to check out at least like probably mm. the first fifteen minutes of this just to to see the festival. Mm. That's something. It's, it's what you would call a change in gear. So um, change of gears. You don't regularly watch Star Trek. You, I, I take it it's something you probably saw back in the day on yeah. TV. Yeah, yeah, every now and then watch it. Um. Before or after the mighty bush, when I was in my twenties, <laughs> something, something like Very that, you combo. know, like either when you had too much or run out of a bit of funny cigarettes, <laughs> <laughs> a few jazz cigarettes. Yeah, you kind of. Oh, let's put a track episode on. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Perfect combination. <laughs> this would be a good one for that. It would, be. <laughs> or a terrifying one. Yeah, you'd probably get a bit of paranoia, wouldn't you? So, have you have you seen a bit of sci-fi at all? Have you been exposed to a bit of the the other franchises like Star Wars? Or yeah, or no much more, no more than the average the, the average, average punter in Inverell, I would say. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, and what's the guy? At least Star Trek 
I don't, I don't know. I haven't watched enough now. I'm not up to date enough to know. But I, I know, like with Star Wars, prequels, the idea of prequels, that that's kind of getting a bit, bit done, a bit frustrating. It's like, how much more backwards are you going to go? Each? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they sort of they did something a bit different with Star Trek. They basically for the new movies that J.J. Abrams directed, they um, they did sort of a complete reboot. So they started the timeline again. So there's a big nuclear explosion or whatever, a star exploded and then the timeline got reset. It's almost like a reset on evolution. Yeah. yeah. The the universe as a whole. That's it. They they didn't go quite back that far, but they went back to so you can have a young Kirk and a young Spock and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's an interesting sort of concept. You can reboot it without without actually erasing, you know, the whole story and everything that's happened. It's just this is a different timeline and we're gonna go off on this tangent yeah keep up what was the cinema like in Inverell growing up it was a drive-in oh really yeah it's a drive-ins are cool did you you remember those emily um over in the states you guys had outdoor drive-ins we had them i i don't think i've ever been to one but oh no never never (gasps) i've never been to a drive-in oh no yeah you guys would love it yeah. It's an experience that, you know, I suppose you're never going to go back there now. We've got all the technology on our, in our pocket, in our telephone to do the equivalent just without actually driving to the screen. Well, there's, there's one here in Brisbane. There's one down at Yadala, mm. um, just sort of south of, you know, on the way toward the Gold Coast. Um, so I'd like to go sort of now the kids are getting bigger. It's all, It was always like, you know, the shows didn't start until like 7.30 and, couldn't sort of drag toddlers out to the driving. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> now but I get, think now uh, they're getting a bit older. Also, though, being a little bit environmentally conscious, they're probably, you know, the <laughs> the idea that everyone just drives their vehicle and parks in the actual <laughs> audience. You know, it's kind of taking the piss of it. You know, well, my car's so important that it gets a seat at the movies, <laughs> like, and I leave it running because I'm a bit hot or a bit cold. Well, I was going to say they're could... combusting fossil fuels. Well, yeah, and now we survive in Brisbane in summer without the aircon. engine running. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. especially in the old, um, you know, the old vinyl seats of the well, Kingswood or the Ford <laughs> or whatever you're in. Like you wouldn't have had aircon. Yeah, no, so. that's it, eh? And you had to have the window up because the sound thing was this big box metal thing like a big speaker that was on the like a post next to your park and you just pulled it on. It was on a wire and you put it in your window. All right. And go. then, of course, that drive-ins I remember as a kid because um, I never got the opportunity. We'd move and I never got the opportunity to go to drive-ins as a, as a young like as a teenager, you know, on your own where you could really play up. but Like happy so, days. Yeah, yeah. I like <laughs> couldn't do the happy days thing. So, but it'd be hanging in on the window. You had to wind the window up so it would hang in there and you could hear. So, you kind of, if you went as a family, you kind of didn't want to be the person right next to the speaker because that would be like really loud. But you didn't want to be on the other side of the car where it's, what do you say? What was that? <laughs> like in the quiet, mate. so in the middle somewhere. But um. Then, of course, you get the drunk people that aren't actually in cars wandering around the drive-in going to the, I don't know, you know, the car, the the kiosk sort of thing and in in and out of there and stuff and there'd be people playing up and sometimes they'd walk past and walk through your cord. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and they'd tear either the cord would break or you'd break a wind, car window and this wasn't unknown at the drive-in. I remember this as a kid. It was great. You'd like... 
you'd have it, and I had fairly strict parents, so I couldn't go too far. But uh, the odd occasion, sort of get out and wander in, and um, you'd see it. You'd see someone break a window. It was great entertainment. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's just high stakes. Oh man, and then things things would kick off. You see, there's a country <laughs> there. Oh, of course. Yeah, you've just busted me window, like. <laughs> And then now, yeah, yeah. Now it's festival. It's <laughs> yeah, exactly. the red hour. Red, now I'm really sad. I never went to exactly. the drive-in. That sounds amazing. Oh man. Yeah, the audio quality doesn't sound great. Oh, watching yeah, Independence Day and yeah. mono. I think. So I think the first movie I saw. So to give you some context, at the our version of the movies, which was the drive-in, um, was. I have a feeling it might have been either E.T. or Crocodile Dundee. Sweet. One of them too. And that was a massive deal. Like, this is a once in every six months or once a year we'd come in from. It was around town and from the farm. With the, like, it was a big deal, eh? So you drive come in on the tractor. No, that's right. <laughs> but, in the, but in the station wagon, mate, it was like the family, you know, like, so it was like that. Nice. Yeah. So I'm not sure which one, but I remember I was – what was the bit in E.T. jumps out of the cupboard or something and scares everyone? I remember being a bit scared. That's <laughs> e- not one E.T. is e. a bit frightening oh, as a kid. As a kid sitting in the car. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that nailed that on the big screen. The screens are massive at drive-ins too. They're like half a football feel. Like they're both big constructions. Well, they're probably all torn down now. Well, apparently the, the, there used to be one near the motorway in Brisbane, like in, you know, in the 80s or whatever, going back, and they used to, like after a certain hour, they'd screen adult movies on it. Oh, great. <laughs> so People you'd be, get up on the motorway. <laughs> you'd be driving on the motorway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've had another accident. Oh, yes, he was looking out across the right again. and That, that could be an urban legend. But that yeah. is a bit of a six o'clock <laughs> problem. That one. <laughs> Oh, my God. I'm trying to think about the people wandering around the drive-in at the adult movies, and that's a terrifying process. (laughs) (laughs) That is a terrifying experience. But then again, like Queensland's always been very conservative, so maybe that's a lot of rubbish. I choose to believe it's true because it's hilarious. Yeah, I think it is. It's a good story. I hope so. (laughs) Conservative or not, they still would have had the odd risque movie playing after 9 o'clock. Yeah, yep. Sorry, Emily. Did you have you have anything to add before about drive-in movies? Oh, I know that I think they have sort of made like somewhat of a comeback in a sort of like trendy way. I know there, are, yeah. like I know there are a few in LA, and now they work. The sound comes in through the radio, like you're given like a AM station yep. to turn into or something. But cool. I mean, obviously in in New York City, there's not really the space for that and people don't have cars but they're becoming a retro yeah cars (laughs) well done well done Mick one day (laughs) everyone just rocks up on their lime scooters (laughs) have you got those in New York the lime scooters Emily no we don't thank God they're everywhere in in Brisbane all of a sudden yeah they're they're like an LA thing and they're Mm. yeah you use the like Uber, you've got an app where you... People are just... I don't know what the rules are about where you park them. I know much, nothing about them, but they seem to be popping up on every, or just all over the place now. The city's covered in and them I'm like now. People <laughs> leaving them in driveways. And like, oh, how many of these are going to get run over? Like, Oh, man. They're like kids' toys. Emily, did you have any other questions for the witness while he's here on the stand? <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we've covered. Okay, we've, we've done our basic 
do you have any Star Trek knowledge? No questions. So I think we're kind of <laughs> done the due diligence. That's pretty standard. <laughs> so this is good. We've we've had a had a few guests that we've brought in that um, haven't seen Trek before, so it's always fun to indoctrinate new people. Yeah. Uh, and we've also we've had a bit of a mix of people that have watched the later series, like uh, Next Generation, and they've never really seen the original series. So that's always fun to expand people's Not minds. Old school. Introduce yeah. them to festival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm leaving that alone. That's, like, that's like, as I said, it's all just too close, too close to um, major religions. <laughs> the whole system of their society. Danny's a bit shaken by this week's episode. <laughs> so, and, and that's oh, that's something we can discuss. Dooney is one of the first people. I think you might be the only person I know under 70 that doesn't have a Netflix subscription. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so she's under 70. That, that hurts. That's like, I mean, that's basically like being could Irish, went with right? 50, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, mate, I'm off the grid. I'm alternate. Yeah, you. <laughs> Emily, have you ever spoken to anyone that doesn't have Netflix? I mean... I'm, it, not that I've ever known they don't have Netflix. Either they have Netflix or they borrow somebody's Netflix account. That's right. So Dooney, Dooney came around and watched the episode. So, I'm a person-to-person yeah, type yeah, guy. Yeah. I'm a toe-to-toe. <laughs> so this is exciting. Well, to, I person as I speak to someone on the other side of the world. I have to come up with a name for the cinema here where we yeah. screen, screen the episodes. Need to name the studio too. Archon Studio. Well, supposedly Ben Stiller's production company, Red Hour, is named after this episode. I, I have Holy no shit. idea if that's true. <laughs> it just came up on the like the trivia. That's something. That's oh, a, I mean, that's I mean a, yeah, the production yeah, is named a, Red um, Hour, and I don't know what else it would come from. So <laughs> it's a weird choice. Wow. Uh, so this week we watched The Return of the Archons, uh, which is episode 21 from season one, uh, episode 22 on Netflix. Uh, it originally aired on NBC on February 9th, 1967, and our start date is 3,156.2. So the start dates they've, in this early series, they've been just making up random numbers that don't actually make sense or follow any continuity so this episode was directed by joseph pevney who directed i think the arena episode with the gorn that we had a couple of weeks ago uh and written by boris sobelman based on a story by gene roddenberry so gene roddenberry is the creator of uh star trek so for this one he's had a bit more involvement and written a wild story <laughs> maybe yeah, that's... smoking something before he wrote this i was gonna say or he's the, he missed seeing his psychiatrist that weekend. No, <laughs> the, uh, I think he just working through some issues <laughs> from his past. Maybe <laughs> it's like six o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> just reminiscing about festivals. I'm past. convinced that this was originally oh, come up with as a plot for either the Twilight Zone or the Outer Limits, because it, like, especially the beginning when you're just sort of thrown in. And don't know what's going on, and all of the honestly, all of the like actual Star Trek stuff just seems sort of thrown in there at the last minute. Mm. Mm. <laughs> That's right. There's like the one that they just decided to um, 
put together, what is it, screen it, film it on, on one of the, because they had a few leftover costumes and ideas <laughs> and a few leftover sets. And I've got my Lego plane here, so we'll put that in as well. And yeah, next thing we've got a <laughs> super sci-fi series. Good world. But mate. one thing I will say, Emily, is um, do you think at least in um, The Outer Limits and, and um, the other one you said, is they could get the characters with pants that fit. <laughs> Have a look at, at Shatner's pants, like in every like Captain Kirk's pants. It's like he's wearing knickerbockers. Why are they too short? I'm like he's the captain. I think he just had to get him out of they, wardrobe at the last. I minute. know. It's like they're like, oh shit! This week we forgot to get William measured up again. <laughs> oh no! And they've got the cowboy outfit with these short pants. I was like. I just feel like they, someone must have been having a go at him or he had lost a bed or something. Yeah, Why maybe. would he be wearing short pants? I reckon he just had to grab Sulu's quickly when Sulu yeah, came maybe, back on something. the ship. But you've got this dreamy-eyed captain there that's <laughs> like with his close-up shots and that. But then when they do the normal, I'm like, I can't help it. I'm noticing he's I'm like, why is he wearing pants that don't fit? Don't fit? <laughs> it's like this, I don't know. If you're the captain of the, what is it, the Starship Enterprise, you, it's a bit emasculating to have pants that don't fit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I've got all this authority, but I can't get pants that fit. <laughs> it's kind of a bit ironic, really. Anyway. That's it. It's just my obtuse take on Normally things. Shatner was all over things. He just he yeah. makes sure he gets the perfect scenes, gets to kiss all the ladies. That's what I mean. Maybe he liked short pants. It might, it might have been. He liked showing his boot, the ankles of his boots off or something. Was, were shorter trousers a thing in the 60s? Or is that, that a 50s no thing? Idea. you got to wear red socks or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're wearing boots. You can't even see their socks. That's the thing. <laughs> That's <laughs> boots with heels and short pa- Oh, I don't know. Maybe anyway. they're just trying to show off their cool boots. Maybe. Maybe though it was back in the day of early product placement, mate. Uh, yeah, and Boots were sponsoring him on the sly, so he's <laughs> like, "Right, yeah, you can pay me off on the side, and I'll wear short pants." <laughs> the sales of Red Wing went through the roof. That's it. Just for any of you Trekkie listeners out there, Red Wings are a style of a boot that's made in America. There you go. There you go. It's an educational <laughs> podcast as well when I come along. <laughs> So we'll be doing saddles next week. Nice. So listen up. <laughs> Welcome to our rodeo podcast. <laughs> well, they had like cowboy kind of gear on in this one, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, like essentially, the gear yeah. was like it was, and the whole set was like a. It felt like a western kind yeah. of when they were outside until they went indoors and it became more like a Game of Thrones sort of dungeon looking scene. <laughs> and I was a bit, a bit um, what's the word? Uh, a bit of a dichotomy in how it moved around. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it does seem to be like elements of, I don't know, Desilu Productions are there <laughs> just reusing whatever yeah. sets they've got. this one in, mate. This one felt like a Western whenever it zoomed in on the town clock. And, exactly. Oh, it's like trying at six o'clock. It's going to be a showdown. It's like, yeah, guns at high noon. And yeah, It's yeah. like rape at six. <laughs> <laughs> We, we better get it. Full we better, on. Sorry, no, no, no. That's 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 essentially, that's essentially what happens. Um, so it opens. Uh, this episode opens with Sulu and another crewman, O'Neill, dressed in. I'm guessing this is 1700s period clothing. So they're sort of wearing suits and you know 
tires and hats and things like that. And the tires were those. Remember, they weren't didn't probably didn't have proper tires back then. They were just a ribbon tied in a bow. To yeah, look yeah, like just a straight bit of material tied up. So, never understand why that how that was fashionable. Yeah, that's right. As a practical man, that seems very dangerous. <laughs> very dangerous just to wear a random piece of ribbon around your neck in the days of hand-to-hand combat and people pulling out six shooters. But anyway, yeah, yeah, it's just me. No, so that's it. So that that's definitely that's something you could see in a western that yeah. sort of outfit. Uh, they're on the run from something, uh, and we see. In the L and Sulu, sort of taking tumbles and everything, <laughs> tripping over in the street. They're that frantic, trying to get away from something. Uh, O'Neill's freaking out and he won't wait to be beamed up to the Enterprise and he makes a run for it. Uh, and then we see two cloaked men. One of them, yeah, one of them closes in on Sulu and zaps him with his staff. And we see Sulu tense up and then all of a sudden he just starts to relax and has a wild, crazy grin. And then he's beamed aboard the Enterprise. So what the hell are they beaming aboard the ship now? That's it, eh? Uh, in the transporter room, Sulu doesn't remember who O'Neill is, doesn't remember any of them. And he points to Kirk and says, you, you are not of the body. Such a creepy <laughs> line. <laughs> oh, man. You're not of the body. And isn't the next thing then he gets up the other bloke saying with fashion tips? We, yeah. don't, we don't wear these clothes down there. Like from one thing he's <laughs> up so the captain saying, you're not from the body. And the next, the next thing that's on his mind is, you gave me the wrong shirt, you mongrel. Oh, yeah. yeah it's like he's, <laughs> I don't know, he's, first of all, he's like he's drunk a heap of rum and wants yeah. to fight everyone. <laughs> it's just like, uh, yeah, he gets angry. He points at one of the crew, crewmen in a blue shirt and rants about, you did it. <laughs> they knew we were archons or something weird. And then uh, it just sort of says that's something about throws you know, the clothes. those aren't the clothes we wear. these and chuck them at him. I, that's <laughs> a, I, was, I was very confused by this because was. how do they, how even if, okay, so the social sociologist like gave him the wrong clothes or whatever, but it also seems like nobody's been on that planet since this shipped crashed a hundred years ago so what are they what is this guy basing this on in the first place i think yeah i thought about that a bit I, I, it's confusing i thought maybe it was sulu saying to the enterprise guys and their skivvies you know you shouldn't be wearing those they're the clothes of the bad people or whatever here take my jacket i don't know it's confusing maybe the sociologist as a lot of them do he might have just based his um Based it all on a dream he had. About <laughs> <laughs> as accurate as anything else. So. Yeah, I think there's there's a bit of that in this episode. Who wrote, <laughs> yeah. wrote the script? Gene a lot of your, had, lot had of your highly educated dream. listeners are going to love me. <laughs> <laughs> but this is another. This is another like every planet is basically human Mm. in terms of this is like 1800s earth or whatever even though it's been around for six thousand years Mm. yeah yeah it's nuts it's like everybody speaks english or some version yeah yeah all around all different satellites and universes and that what they're traveling light years in terms of get to some of these places Every planet evolved from, you know, they have all different <laughs> temperatures and they're different distances from suns and different gases and whatever. Yep. 
But yeah, these cells all keep evolving to form some sort of thing close to a human. Yep. And then as you pointed out, Mick, speak English. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to be that. I I know. We're leaving. Is it? I can't remember if it's this season or season two, but there's one where there's a mafia planet. It's like 1920s (laughs) New York. Forget about it. (laughs) (laughs) So everything always evolves the same way. Mm. Uh, so Sulu's angry one minute and then all of a sudden he just sort of looks around, looks up at the ceiling, smiling, and he says, Landru, Landru, <laughs> they're wonderful. They're the sweetest, friendliest people in the universe. So he's definitely on mushrooms or something. Yeah. He's every emotion. It just kicked in, didn't it? <laughs> he dropped it earlier and it just kicked in at that moment. He's like, ooh, Landru. Landru. Okay, now, now here I have a question for you guys because I – we hear the we hear the name Landru a lot, and every time I hear it, like it's ridiculous. But I wanted to see how many times we actually hear it, so I looked up a transcript of the episode, and I want you guys to guess how many times the name Landru is said in this episode. Oh man, <sighs> I'm going to say it's in the hundreds. How long did the episode go for? Is it like an hour? Oh, 50, 50 minutes? minutes? Yeah. About 50 minutes. So, an hour so, with commercials. Yeah. At least 100, twice a minute, maybe. Sometimes. Yeah. Okay. It's not, it's, it's not quite I'm that say bad. 180. <laughs> was, was it be at least. I've gone too high on that. What did you say? 180. <laughs> That's more than three times a minute, mate. That's a lot. I reckon it's one to two times a minute. So I'm going to say about. So, no, 75 split. Oh, you're so close. It is 79. Oh, oh nice. Well done. Which is an insane number of That's times nice. to hear a character's name. We're, and it wasn't even real character. I like how we're watching it. My, my wife was here uh, watching yeah. it with us and uh, she said, oh, I, can't, I can't understand what they're saying. So I turned subtitles on and then she says, it's Landru, Landru. Yeah. She's like, oh, okay. That's why I can't understand what they're saying. <laughs> It's wild, wild gibberish. Look, if you just wow. put an L in front of a name, then it's a space name. That's it, <laughs> L. Andrew. <laughs> or it's French, Le Mick. Lemily. Look at us, we're in. We're, we're in Kirk tries to ask about O'Neill. It's pretty concerning trying to find out what's going on, but Sulu just keeps staring off in the distance, repeating paradise, paradise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sulu, he, was, he got in early. Yeah, he was he, supposed to cut those in half, Sulu. Oh, no. He took the whole thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Enterprise is orbiting planet Beta 3, trying to find some trace of the starship Archon that disappeared there close to 100 years ago. Oh, so it was, Archon was a ship that yeah. vanished. Ah, I thought it was people. Yeah. Well, that's that's sort or of what it stems sort of, from. Yeah. Right. So the ship was there. Right. So two Enterprise officers were sent to the planet, but only Mr. Sulu's returned, and he's in a highly agitated mental state. Oh, yeah. Uh, so a second landing party beams down that includes all the heavyweights, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and three other crewmen. They're all dressed in 1700s period costume. And Spock has a black hooded cloak to hide his ears. Uh, 
<laughs> I like that, eh? A cloak to hide his ears. It's like, I, I, I forgot that he had a hood. I yeah. wasn't even pointing the hood out. I'm like, the cloak went down to his legs, mate. Like, yeah. Where's his, where's his ear? Sure, like, hooded cloak. Oh, yeah. you mean the hood hit his Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. It's half the time he didn't have the hood on. Like, Only when he's outside. Yeah, when he's out and about. Um, <clears throat> we see the townsfolk wandering about. So they're in, yeah, the town really looks like something out of a western. I guess it'd be a bigger town for a western, like Dodge City or something. <laughs> um, the townsfolk are just pacing around like they're on autopilot. We've got creepy music yeah, playing like, in the sort background. Of like, um, mu- not mummies, um, what like zombies. It? Zombies, yeah. that's the word I was after. Yeah, they're yeah, kind you're of just right. wandering like zombies, waiting for some sort of zombie element to kick into the <laughs> – that was what I was waiting for. Going, oh, it oh, kicks mate. in all right. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> um, they're greeted by a few people who talk, you know, almost like robots, uh, eerie fake smiles and, you know, fake happiness about them. Almost like um, today's society. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you hanging out? <laughs> oh, mate, that's one of my, you know. Mate, anyway, I, I, I just I get the bus to work and it's silent, or if I get a train, we all have our podcasts in and try yeah, yeah. try and hide from true, one another. True, true, that's right. Yeah, we'd be on faking it. We just <laughs> stay in our own worlds now, don't we? Couldn't even be bothered trying to be fake being nice to you, Mick. I just listen to my music. So a man greets him saying, joy to you, friends, and places his sort of his hand across his chest in a weird greeting gesture. Um, Kirk and the others are, you know, quick to copy and mm. say, oh, yeah, joy to you, pal. Yep, <laughs> trying to blend in. Um, he asks if they're here for the festival and uh, if they have anywhere to stay but tells them they'd better hurry because it's almost the red hour. We get to a shot of the town clock, which is a few minutes to six. This guy's yeah, it's a zoom. In. The shot is like a bit like when they did the zoom in, you know, shots on Shatner and Spock when they were doing the, you know, the stern, the steely gaze sort of look. Yeah, yep. shooting. They shot in on the clock, like is it <laughs> zoom in and it's oh wow, it's a couple of minutes before. Showdown but, of and the music moon. as well. That yeah, music that comes in is a bit like the showdown. Like, Ooh, it's getting eerie. Oh. Um, this guy's terrifying the way he speaks. His makeup is even weirder than the rest of them. Just his eye makeup and everything. He's just the way he talks and his inflections just just so creepy. He's, he was a little bit crazy before he became. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just says, "Tula, these folks have come for the festival." Your daddy can put them up, can't he? It just I, I can't even do it, but the way he talks is just so freaky. Oh, uh, come on, Mick. Yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I couldn't do it justice. I'm still terrified. Um, and then the clock chimes six and the camera zooms in on it, like again, yeah. like a Western. And Tula screams and rips her gloves off and all the people go into a frenzy and start attacking each other and riding, throwing rocks through windows, chucking furniture out of buildings. A woman throws herself at Kirk of course, and kisses him. Of course, like everybody and else that, is your... getting hit with sticks. Exactly. And so she <laughs> jumps on Kirk and kisses him. I'm glad you pointed that out, Emily, because I was thinking there's like six guys all standing there in a group from out of town, and it was <laughs> Captain Kirk that the attractive woman ran and jumped oh, on. Yeah. 
not all the others. You're like, yeah. It's wild. And there's just screaming constantly in the background and things mm. smashing. We see another couple making out. <laughs> they love it. <laughs> I like a bit the of guy's chaos. just yeah, he's, he's going for the neck, mad neck kissing. Um, the landing party dive into Tula's dad's building. We later lay, lay learn is Rager or Reger, depending on which actor's reading the script. <laughs> um, they're greeted by three old men who are very calm despite all the screams and chaos that's going on outside. Uh, the the crew, you know, they figure out this is Rager or Reger and they warn him, you know, your daughter Tula's outside, you know, you should... You should rescue her from that shit. It's not it's not ideal outdoors. Yeah, mate, he was the feisty one in the group, wasn't he? He was the one that wanted to shoot first and ask questions later. Yeah. And up old mate. That's your daughter out there. <laughs> what was his name, that bloke again? Was he, so, he was, was he a sociologist? Oh, was he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of, one of Lindstrom. Them. Lindstrom. Oh, that was Lindstrom, was it? It was hot-headed. I thought yeah, it was not, one, right. one of them's Lindstrom. I'm not sure. But, yeah, he doesn't do a great job of blending in. He's always trying to get involved. He'd be a good diversion if you needed one. That's when you'd let him loose. Right, yeah, mate, that's it. There you go, Cal. Let him fire up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they warn him that Tula's outside in the chaos, uh, but Ledger says, it's festival. It is the will of Landrew. Uh, one of the old men is concerned and says, these are young men and they're not old enough to be excused. So he's worried, you know, why aren't these people out festivaling <laughs> outside? Um, okay. Now, this yeah. is the part where I admit maybe I wasn't paying enough attention to this episode. Why does festival exist? It's one of the many, unanswered, one of the many, many unanswered <laughs> questions we were asking each other before the podcast began, Emily. Whether, I mean, I, ex- so I, what expected, was the point of I expected there to be some sort of like the purge like explanation mm. where it's like we've decided no. that this is the day in which we get all this but they they never they never explain it right like they don't even pretend no. to give a reason for it i have i've come up with a uh, working theory oh, if oh, you'd I'm like to hear very, that please do it's, it's a working theory is because between the hours of um 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. Now, I don't know if this festival was a daily occurrence or not. <laughs> <laughs> like, we only really saw it. Uh, you know, we've only got an anecdotal sort of look into the society. But um, the, And they were all getting around doing the hands on their heart, you know, nice to meet you, you know, peace and tranquility and all that to each other. And then the clock hit six and it was like, you know, the old six o'clock rock <laughs> for, <laughs> for a while. Um is like they're being like at one end of the spectrum between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. all, um, I guess, perfect, like they're even moving slow and really reserved and contained and, I guess, emulating all those parts of a character or characteristics. And so they, they went to the other end of the spectrum when it, when it, the clock chimed, you know. It was like. We'll even the even it back up now. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So it just went all the way to the other end, and it's like, yeah, they're certainly, it's they're just, certainly getting and, it all out. Well, because you know, like as any species, like as as a uh, what do you call it, survival of the species kind of characteristic, without actually thinking about it, a lot of 
reproduction comes from really ordinary occurrences, if you know what I mean, in other species. And I'm thinking, well, they seem to be, for want of a better way, um, partaking in uh, reproduction <laughs> activities. <laughs> Between definitely seems to be a wild I'm not saying it was consenting or what the fuck, but yeah. it was. And I'm like, well, it, if that happened every day, most probably there's going to be um, <laughs> some offspring <laughs> come out of these. Anyway, as I said, it's all just a working theory. But <laughs> but yeah. at one end of the spirit, yeah, you're like being good all day, and then you just go, oh, I go real bad or not. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, that kind of mean. It's a bit like one of those old Hollywood movies, like I don't know if you've seen the Ten Commandments or anything back in the day when they just show everyone quick, everyone sin. Yeah. And they're showing everyone sinning while Moses is away and just their, their demonstration is sinning <laughs> is just dancing and making out. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's actually not bad. So yeah, The best way to represent sin is two people <laughs> dancing. I told actually, you, no, you can't no dance, dan- man. Don't do it. Okay. There, actually, there isn't any dancing in this, though. It's just, just it's just aggressive making out and neck kissing and breaking windows and throwing stuff and mm. smashing stuff. So it's some it's some festival. Is it like maybe that six they move to a different part of their brain? Like they go back <laughs> to the reptilian part for a while and then if the clock chimes, they go back up. I would argue that it's probably not a daily occurrence, this festival, yeah, because enough. they did a good job of cleaning, cleaning up, up the city. That's and- the other question we had. <laughs> yeah, there was never a clean-up crew after fest. You're like, well, how was it? Yeah. I'm, I'm going with annual festival. Annual. Yep. Fair enough. But how do you know there was a year? Yeah, <laughs> good point. <laughs> so many questions. <laughs> Imagine that's a weekly thing, and they've just got to spend all week just fitting new windows, sweeping the street. <laughs> so we can jump Putting out again. fires. <laughs> What yeah. a great plan. It was a good point, Emily. I don't think that question was ever answered. Okay. Either. I'm glad I'm glad to know that I didn't just completely lose the plot. No. Okay, so one of the old men at Ledger's place is very concerned that these are young men and they're not old enough to be excused from the festival. Haycom was his name. Haycom. Haycom, I remember. He was the, yeah, he's the, the old angry fun buster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fun police. Reggie leads them up to a room upstairs and He's freaked out to learn that they don't know about Landrew and he quickly shuts the window and they start asking questions. Doesn't want Landrew to hear. Yeah, I like how he closed the window from this all-hearing, all-seeing being. <laughs> Shh, I'll close the window. Don't mention Landrew, <laughs> which we've already identified is said every minute at least. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the old men, yeah, this old man, uh, Hakem's very angry that these strangers aren't out participating and he gets angry with one of the other old men that tries to reason with him and says, oh, you're mocking the lawgivers and he goes off to to find the lawgivers and tell them. Wasn't that part though, who who was that guy that he's told him he was mocking? What was his name? Do you remember his name? I can't. Because remember, Um, that was one of my favourite parts. Tamar. Because that... Yes, well done. Yeah, and so as as Tamar said, "Oh, I'm not mocking him." Like, and he's walked over, and old Hakom said, "Yes, I'm going to tell Landrew." And that look, do you remember that look? As he looked like that kind of disappointed, "Oh, I've upset him." Kind of look. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of my favourite parts. The way they're trying to get that old guy to look, kind of, I don't know what 
look they were going for. It seemed funny to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably uh, why I laughed by myself when they were watching <laughs> that bit. You were all looking at me. I'm there laughing away. That's it. What's funny, Dooney? It's, it's definitely got it. You did um, this weird look, yeah. I'm not a big fan of Hakem. Nah. <laughs> I reckon he's got a personal grudge against yep. Tamar. He's like, oh, I'm going to bring the lawgivers to Took fuck his him Took chance, up. yep. Um, yeah, very reminiscent of communism or, yeah. I guess, or any, oh, I guess, either end of the political spectrum, any sort of totalitarian yep. society where you don't like somebody, so you just go and dob on them to the authorities. All in out. line, otherwise we come and point the stick at you. Yeah, literally. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the zappy stick. It was fun having the subtitles on. It just comes up. <laughs> <laughs> that was. So outside it's dark now and there are fires everywhere. <laughs> People are running around with torches and rioting and smashing stuff. And they're screaming and making out. Uh, we- <laughs> Actually, can I just jump in? It, yeah. It, it is um, – you've got to compliment their ability to keep on smashing the same stuff for like 12 hours in that one street. <laughs> like I would have thought after two or three hours, everything's pretty well done, like yeah, yeah. what's left. But every time, yeah, they looked out there and even towards the – like at 10 to 6 in the morning, they were still smashing the same wind. I'm like, you've pretty well got them all now. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's... Maybe they have glaziers come in on the air. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those not yeah people walking past tradesmen carrying a carrying a um, a big pane of glass so people can run match through it. it. Yeah. My favourite bit is where we see a guy just scream and then dive through a window yeah. into a shop, and then he just dives out a couple of seconds later, and we get a close up of him and he just starts screaming festival festival. <laughs> it's real high pitch. He just keeps repeating festival. Um, so that's great fun. I feel like these people yeah. don't know what a festival is. I, I think they really do. They know the key word. <laughs> <laughs> They're right into it. Um, what's your idea of a good festival, Emily? I mean, a festival should at least have like a theme, maybe some activities. <laughs> it should be like I an event. That <laughs> certainly activities, but yeah, there was quite a few activities. There was a. I don't know. If it, it seemed to have a theme. <laughs> I'm not sure if it was a formal. Or, yeah. um, so we get we get close ups of you know all the few of the other townsfolk just looking up all crazy eyed. Yeah. All these guys screaming festival. Just <laughs> having a great time. It's a festival. Find me a window. <laughs> Is that what people did at Woodstock? Just Woodstock! <laughs> ah! <laughs> Just panic. <laughs> um, Kirk reasons that they've got until morning because everybody seems pretty preoccupied and uh, he spends a pretty sleepless night pacing about trying to figure out what's going on while the others end up um, turning in in bunks. We see Spock uh, lying on the top bunk, but his, his eyes are still wide awake. He's thinking. Morning comes and the clock strikes six, and then uh, the townsfolk immediately stop rioting. They riot right up until the second. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they immediately stop rioting and start pacing no. around again like normal. <laughs> God damn it. I can't believe what I asked. Con- considering. Considering some of the activities that take place during festival, was this just like timed very carefully? Or if you were involved in 
reproductive activities, do you just immediately mm-hmm. like go back to walking around mm-hmm. the town? <laughs> I think so. You're like, you imagine that, though. you're like, shit, I left that a couple of minutes too late. <laughs> Wouldn't you be pissed? Too late. Wait another year now. We'll continue this to mix in 12 you. months. <laughs> and your thing. It seems yeah, like no, a good question, Emily. Very good question. That's like, yeah. Excellent question. It's like a, it's like a Band-Aid, though. You just got to tear it off. You got to stop somewhere. You can't, you can't just extend your way out for every case. And it is a totalitarian society, as you said, so it's like, nah, it's done. It's done for everyone. That's it. And these people appear to be, they're sort of brainwashed. They're they're programmed down to the second. I did have a bit of trouble when, um, what was Rhaegar's daughter's name again? Tula. Tula. So when that happened, as Emily said, and everyone stopped and they all just started zombie-like walking again, why was Tula so upset when she came inside? She was all zombie looking outside, walking in, and they went and got her. And then she was upset so to, much to the point they had to knock her out. Yeah. We, we seem- Which is a bit counterintuitive to someone that's just been through 12 hours of uninterrupted abuse. <laughs> yeah. For want of a better word, then, oh, well, we'll knock her out for a few more hours so she doesn't know where she is at all when she wakes up. Like, we sort of learn that there's there's a resistance of sorts that Rhaegar's mm. part of a resistance uh, and Rhaegar at least doesn't seem to be programmed. There seem to be people that are mm. he, like completely he brainwashed yeah. and programmed and there's other people like Rhaegar he was one of them. that are sort of trying to blend in, trying to keep up appearances. But so as part get of what out. I'm getting at is part of the brainwashing, which they said Tula had undergone, like she'd become part of the body. Um, then why would she be so upset when she came back in? I wonder like, if she was... hasn't. I wonder if she's just out there because oh, you know you're you're questions. under a certain age. You're not excused from festival, so you're going to be out there. And so be she was actually partaking in festival, not being brought. Wow. That's my theory. <laughs> wow, she's trying to that's keep up full on. Then she's like actually going through. Well, like I said, <laughs> like most major religions. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I that... got there. Yes. <laughs> This this episode seems to be a you know a bit of a making a point about organised religion. Yeah, it's organised religion and society. Or totalitarian politics. Yep, and a bit of a blend of all it. that. Mm. So I, I wonder if that's the case. Rhaegar seems to be not brainwashed, and he's just trying to toe the line publicly, but mm. doing whatever he can to resist, even though. He's grown up in this weird reality, and it's you know, it's very hard for him to to sort mm. of see past it. But so, he said that Tula was part of him. Yeah, but I wonder if again you got Maybe that he's faking it. You've faking got that arsehole hanging around Hacom with dobs around. on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Tula's downstairs screaming and hysterical, and McCoy gives her something to calm her down, and she falls asleep. The real McCoy. <laughs> yeah, boom, yeah. Boom, thanks. I'm out. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Uh, Rager or Rager, I'm not sure which one should I go with. Rager. Let's go with Rager. Rager. Uh, Rager and the other old guy, they're freaked out that Kirk and his crew didn't go to the festival and Rager says that they are truly not of the body. Uh, Rager asks if they are archons and, of course, this rings a bell because they're, Kirk's there looking for the survivors of the archon that, disappeared there the ship 
He says, it, "What if we were?" Didn't he? Is yeah, that, yeah. That? He sort of what he plays we it cool. He says, "What have we? What have we are? What yeah, we are?" Right. Uh, and there's some sort of prophecy that um, Rager says, "Oh, it was said that more would come." Suddenly, Haycom, the arsehole guy from before, enters with two of the lawgivers in their brown hooded cloaks and their hollow staffs. Haycom points at the the other old guy. What did we say? He was Tamar. Mm. And says, uh, he is the one that mocked the lawgivers. I heard it. And one of the lawgivers, you know, speaks to him and tells him to stand out in the clear yeah. and, and then zaps him with his zap. staff and he falls dead. And we get a big subtitle, all caps, zap. Um, the lawgiver addresses Kirk in his sort of robot voice and says, you attack the body. You will be absorbed. You have heard the word and disobeyed. Uh, the good is all. Landrew is gentle. You will come. Uh, Kirk says they're not going anywhere. And then the two lawgivers just stop what they're doing, turn to one another and sort of confer. I think Spock and Kirk sort of figure out that they they seem to be computer controlled at this point. Yeah. And they can't process what's, changes what's in, going on. Yeah, what Kirk's not, just not com- non-conformance. They couldn't, didn't know what to do with that. But I, what I found interesting is because – um, you know, Kirk and Spock and the team, they're all standing in a room, right, yeah. where there's a woman who's been violated for 12 hours on the couch, passed out. These dudes in hoods with staffs come in and murder a guy <laughs> right in front of them all. No one's upset. They're all just standing <laughs> there and, and they're waiting for Captain Kirk to um say, no, I'm not coming. Like, and they're all just looking around. I was like, yeah, like everyone's so well drilled. And the other thing I liked about about it um, was how they addressed each other with their full names every time. Like it was Mister and even amongst Mr. the Sulu. team. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, they were so formal. <laughs> and I'm like, look, look what's happened in today's society. <laughs> these, these, these men, like they're so well mannered. Yeah, you know? and they just the way they just spoke to each other it was like with such respect and decorum. You know, and even the death scenes were had a lot of decorum, didn't they? Like it was just a matter of like, tighten up a bit and fall down and die. Like it was, <laughs> didn't need the gruesomeness of today's world. Where it's, it's like, there you go. Anyway, that's a good point. Is that just how people addressed one another in the sixties? Were we more polite? Or? Must have been a lot more of that, I think. Or is this again? This is a military scenario where they're all oh, I think in civil society and- we had a lot more decorum. I know the twenties was big on my favorite thing with the twenties was like, you know, as a fellow I would wear the you know, that if they were the cool guys would have like a three piece suit. Yeah. And yeah. then they'd be oh we'll go and take a bit of take some exercise. You know? <laughs> so they'd take their jacket off, roll their sleeves up and play some tennis and then oh we're finished exercise now, roll their sleeves back down and twist their jacket. You're like, I just love that idea, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> that was their idea of. Oh, man. <laughs> Imagine that in Brisbane trying to do that, playing playing tennis oh, and a waistcoat. Oh, cool. Uh, so where are we up to? So, yeah, Kirk says he's not going anywhere. Um, the lawgivers stop to confer. So this is where they first figure out they seem to be computer controlled and there's some gaps in the, the programming in, the, in their data. So eventually when they've finished conferring, they tell Kirk he will come with them to the absorption chambers. Um, Kirk snatches one of the staffs and Spock checks it out. 
and it's just an empty hollow tube, which is interesting. So no mechanism. Yeah. I remember him saying that. No mechanism, Captain. So, and yet, there early on there were sparks flying out of it. So that's interesting. The, the yeah, where did the smokes come out. from? That's interesting. That doesn't get answered. No, nah. anywhere in the episode. No mechanism, Captain. Yeah, right, mate. Put it to the side. <laughs> um, the law givers freeze, or maybe this is where they freeze for a bit longer. And Rager says they're communing. Quick, we have time. Uh, so every time they got to power down and think for a bit or stop and think. You Wasn't know, the communing when they'd be getting instructions? Like yeah, yeah. Brainwash? Yeah, they're just yep. waiting for it. Yeah. But meanwhile, this Landrew's trying to figure out how to deal with mm. this anomaly. Uh, and, you know, quick, we have time. And Rager calmly leads them out of the building and down the street. Rager's smiling, walking very slowly and deliberately trying to blend in with the, the mm. other townsfolk. Yeah, it's like it's like they do in zombie movies when they have to blend yeah, in with the zombies. Very much so. It's terrifying, and we get the guy from before just coming up and being creepy again. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Rhaegar says, we're, we're too late, and all the townsfolk have just stopped. They're frozen in the spot, and yeah. uh, Rhaegar says, Landrew, he's summoning the body. You've got to give it to Rhaegar. He was like, in today's world, he would have been real social sophisticate. The way he could pick before they'd picked any rocks or sticks up, he knew just by the look, that subtle look in their faces. Yep, they'd changed. <laughs> He's like, "Oh, we're too late." Like they hadn't, they were still walking. He's, "Oh, we're too late," and then they stopped. He'd picked it beforehand. I was like, "Oh, Rega, he's on to <laughs> he's on he's, this." Is why he survived. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, man. It's this is so creepy, isn't it? Like, there's not any actual monsters in this or you no. know, creepy aliens in this episode, but the townsfolk are terrifying. Mm. Landrew's summoning the body, and then the townsfolk all of a sudden just start to arm themselves with the nearest blunt object they can find. So they figure of which there was plenty of around because of the festival because earlier. Of yeah, there's still plenty, <laughs> plenty of bits and pieces they hadn't cleaned up. So it's mainly sort of, you know, broken logs and mm. rocks and whatever else they can pick up. And you just see all this, you know, men and women alike just suddenly turn and start walking toward the landing party and they're very slow and deliberate but they've yeah. got these weapons raised. Man. Which was a big clue in my opinion to the, like, oh, I already had a feeling, but where this is going to go towards the end, that one, because they showed no emotion. Yeah, yeah. You're coming at them and I'm like, why aren't they aggressive? Why are they just doing a zombie like now they're zombie wh- coming to get you? you know, yeah. Like, if a, a real person would be aggressive in that situation. Yeah, that's right. Running, you, you know. Anyway, I won't give it away <laughs> It's like yet. the streets Probably. of Inverell after the pub shuts. Yeah. <laughs> 1 a.m. <laughs> it's Everyone's like it's just... my spot. At my, I'm in line at the bakery. You know, that's <laughs> – there's only 40, 48 pies on each tray, man. You've got to get there. It's oh, like man. I went, pretty I'm... competitive getting in line. <laughs> Everyone's got <laughs> – Bricks <laughs> and bits of 4v2. Crack, Terrifying. Crack. Yeah. So, Dooney, actually, I don't know if we covered that. I grew up in the town next to Dooney and Glen, and it was very much the same. The pub shuts. You've got to go to the – you had the pie shop in Inverell that used to open late. Henry's Bakery. Beautiful. Yeah, still there. Nice. I, I, went out, I only went out once in Inverell. It was very much like that. This horde just descended <laughs> upon us. I think that's the same in every country, DNA. It'd have to oh, be. Oh, nowadays there's a lot of fast food joints in them. So people go to, I'm not going to even mention the names of them, <laughs> anti-establishment, but we all know what they are. There's changes. The there's lots of them in New York, Emily. Yeah, they're open 24-7. So that people go to them. But um, 
yeah, back in the day because it was bakeries were always opening up at three o'clock in the morning to start cooking and stuff. So they, yeah, on Saturdays and Sundays they were serving early. They'd just open up and serve drunks. Yeah, yeah, half cooked pies and <laughs> sausage. <laughs> I remember Armadale was another one that like a town that had uh, like a university, so they had a yeah, you know, big crowd of young bit people. Bit more going cosmopolitan out. though. They, Armadale, they would have had kebab the, shops. Oh, and... still, still had the still had the bakery, the pie oh, yeah. shop. Straight bakeries. across from the Newey, yes, the New England yeah, Hotel. In the down the track, yeah. And I can remember being in there ordering a pie, and next minute just a window smashed beside me, and there's a big fight and people riding, so it was a bit of a festival on. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> we got there, Mick. You got there to your festival, it, Jack. It was terrifying. You broke glass everywhere. <laughs> and then do it all again next week. Just run out screaming, festival. <laughs> was out that- of pies. <sighs> was, it- <laughs> was it like that growing up in Indiana, Emily? Um, in rural Indiana, no, no, it wasn't like that's just not what we have because there's nothing open after like 10 p.m. So the pub shot at 10. Yeah, well, Indiana has pretty well, no, I guess there were some bars, I don't even know when bars close in Indiana anymore, but Indiana has pretty strict alcohol laws because the United States is like state mm. by state and. Indiana's yeah. conservative. Like, you can't sell alcohol on Sundays in Indiana, and there's all sorts of insane regulations. But So where do you go afterwards for festival when the when the bar shuts? Um, <laughs> you guys, you just wander the streets. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real festival. Just break shit and scream, make out. <laughs> oh, man. So Indiana has strict alcohol laws and liberal gun laws. Is that yeah, basically. It's really. Don't get political now. Don't get political. Well, it's funny though. You're like, oh, drunk. Because that's true. Drunk people shoot each other a bit too liberally. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> look at the Wild West. So, uh, so they're like, we've got to, we've got to, can't, you know, limit one of them. Well, we can't touch gun laws, so we'll just stop people <laughs> drinking like that. You know what I mean? Like that's if you tried that in Australia, there's oh, no way you'd win an election. People, people would suddenly be interested in guns. We don't have guns now, but if you tried tried to shut pubs early, oh, people would arm themselves. Yeah, so that'd be it. Like, yeah, we'll give up guns. Like, yeah, but booze. It's like <laughs> you can't. <laughs> it's you would be lynched. That's so true. we might not have guns, but they'd work out one way of getting rid of it. It's true. We have a national problem. Mm. Speaking of, I might go and get another beer. <laughs> do, you need, do you need a drink, Dooney? No. Right, thanks, mate. Do you need a whiskey, Emily? You know, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Excellent. I'll just grab a beer. Won't a be a quick second. pause. There's that cork pop. I can hear it. It's a really nice sound. I mean, that's half the reason yeah, I drink that's it. it eh? It's the best part of it. It's really satisfying. It's time for our regular segment, Booze Corner. Uh, what have you got for festival tonight, Emily? Um, well, you've talked me into one, mate. I'm gonna have it's one. Glass Scotch. It's really good. Oh, beautiful. What are you guys drinking? Um, well, sorry, what was the Scotch again? You're drinking is it Glen Morgan? It's yeah, it's uh, their sherry cask, twelve uh, year old Scotch. Beautiful, top shelf with a cork and everything. Here in Brisbane, it is a nice warm summer afternoon and we're drinking rogers little uh, creatures yeah it's a golden ale i believe from little creatures brewery over in western australia at the other end of the country beautiful here's cheers to you. oh 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 i just knocked my empty over let's try that again cheers across the table here's cheers to your good health we'll all burp into the mics <laughs> okay so 
the townsfolk have armed themselves and they're being creepy zombie-like people ready to attack them. The landing party pull out their phases and stun some of the villagers and find one of them's actually O'Neill from before. So he's he's fitting in with the townsfolk. <laughs> he's had a good festival by the sound of it. He's now of the body. <laughs> <laughs> what I've always wanted, just to fit in. <laughs> They grab O'Neill and Rhaegar leads them to a secret underground building that's lit by torches. Uh, Rhaegar pulls out a lighting panel that he says has come from a time before Landru, and some say it's it was 6,000 years ago. So Rhaegar is concerned about O'Neill and says he must not regain consciousness or he will lead Landru to them. And, uh, yeah, McCoy gives... Gives O'Neill uh, an injection, pulls out a massive old school needle that mm. he picked up. So, which is interesting. No um, tricorder, <laughs> no high tech equipment. Even even the <clears throat> needle sort of they've gone with the old fashioned. It was like a horse props. tranquilizer. Yeah, yeah like an intramuscular horse tranquilizer. Yeah. He pulls it out because he's like, I need a, I need a decision, Captain. He's going to wake up, and he's like. <laughs> Oh, okay, give him a shot. But the, what I found even more in the background is he, they had that shot of him with this, and it had a purplish looking liquid in it. I'm like, just, what sort of tranquilizer? <laughs> just like we've gone to clear. Everything's pocket. clear in hospitals these days. I was yeah, yeah. the time there. You, yeah, and but then what even was more interesting is he just turned to O'Neill and just kind of jammed it towards his upper, like his chest or shoulder. Like through his coat and everything. Like you just put, so I'm not going to find a vein. I'll just I'll go through four layers of clothing. So it wasn't like a shot of, shot of adrenaline straight to the yeah, heart, like, like Pulp Fiction. Like, exactly. Like, and um, I was kind of thinking, you know, he's putting it. If he does punch through the he's he's um rip, you know, the chest wall into the cavities, he's going to be very close to the heart. Like, <laughs> I'm like, and the needle was long enough to do it. I'm like, starting in Next Generation, um. God, why, why, why I remember the things that I remember, I don't know. But they they start using hypo sprays instead of needles, which is just sort of like a. It looks kind of like a, like an asthma inhaler, that they just press up against somebody. But the the actress Gates McFadden, who plays the doctor, Next Generation, decided that the way to do it would be the neck. Because it would it would like make viewers the most uncomfortable. So in Next Generation, it's always it's always goes for the neck, no matter what it is. And the theory is to make the viewers uncomfortable. Is that the theory? Well, that was her. That was like that was why she decided to do it. Like that was just the actress who played. Oh, okay. Um, who played Doctor Crusher? She's just like, it'd be funny if you just get shots in the neck. I guess. Yeah. Can you get a Can you get a needle in the neck? Shot of B twelve just to give you a buzz. <laughs> <laughs> I think they generally, well, generally they avoid the neck because there's a lot going on in a small, like yeah. it's one of your most exposed areas. <laughs> but don't they generally now, like I've had IV morphine, right, in the past. Yep. And pethidine. And it, you get, so that's the, but it's usually put in a limb, but that's a massive rush. Like you get the, and then it wears off. So now the, the whole idea of, slow release pain or slow release whatever's is that's why they go intramuscular or suppositories yep and they'll but um 
is to slow that down. So if you're going to put anything in your neck, that's the opposite. Because heart, if if you do hit an artery, it'll punch it into your brain, which is where you're trying to get it to release slowly. Yeah. Uh, and then if you put it so maybe, into one of the other major veins, I imagine it'd get back to the heart reasonably quickly. So maybe that's what Dr. Crushes afterwards, just a quick zap. I think that's no, you, no needles, oh, so right it's pretty on. harmless, I guess. Yeah. They're not gonna... No needles. <laughs> so there you go. Um, so maybe I have jumped the gun. Maybe in this first series, original series, maybe they still are using needles. I've just made the assumption they've got cool technology. Yeah, but where do they put them? As you said, there's how do you beam needles and stuff? Like I was going to say towards the end, you know, if you know when you ever get asked if you would like a superpower, I'd always thought I want molecular displacement, which is <laughs> like beam me up, Scotty, because if ever you wanted one, you know, like I always thought in the real world, you're like in a situation or even a conversation you don't want to be in, you could just get just vanish, and you vanish, need like, to vanish, <laughs> just like and you turn up somewhere else. So, so handy, it would be, wouldn't it? Like, but um, be good for getting stock tips, bit of insider, yeah. Time. Just pop around the world, never and, have to work again. And like people couldn't even say anything to you because they'd sound like they were crazy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're like, what are you talking about, mate? Oh, it's there, wasn't I? So you just beam around That's the world it. gaslighting everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but then how do you get it to work, which I guess the needles and that are the same as the clothes. I would have thought the technology's got to change. We wondered that as a couple you, of weeks ago when we no, were talking, talking with this. Nick Carr yeah. because they beamed a fighter pilot on board just as his plane was about to explode back in the 20th century. Um, but he came on board with his oxygen mask and the hose the and his life. flight suit. And I'm sort of wondering the whole plane. where does that start mm. and end? Like why doesn't he have the chair? Why mm. doesn't he have the cockpit? Mm. Yeah, because well, yeah, when he was beaming out, he was like sitting in the cockpit. Mm. But then when he beams into the ship, he's standing up. Yeah. It's but almost as this. if they didn't think about that at all and we're just making a TV show. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> almost. They, they get a bit better. With, with Next Gen, they have more sophisticated transporters. So they, if somebody's armed when they're beaming them up, they can beam them up without the weapon or they can have it you know, disarmed or whatever. And sometimes they can even like, they can even like take out viruses and stuff. Oh, sweet. Well, they do all sorts of shit though. with transporters in the next generation that varies from episode to episode of what they can and cannot do. That'd be so cool. Like if you get a flu or something, you just head to the transporter and just get them to beam beam you down somewhere and beam you back up without the flu. <laughs> Party on. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, the next step from molecular displacement is traveling. You, I imagine it has to happen in the same moment wherever you're heading to. Then you just chart changing the clock and you're actually doing time travel. Yeah, that's right. So molecular displacement through time and through space. Through time and space. Then yeah, that'd be handy. That'd be handy. That'd it? cover just about everything. Now, once you got that as your superpower, you're like, I wouldn't even wear underpants, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you're prepared for everything. I'm like, yep, whatever. <laughs> you're not going to get me. <laughs> it's like- Commando teleporting. <laughs> Uh, so we find out this resistance, they organise themselves in groups of three. The other guy was Tamar in Rhaegar's mm. triad, but he was the contact point. So now that Ra- Tamar's dead, Rhaegar doesn't know who the third person is. He's just got to wait till old mate reveals himself. Kirk tries to warn the Enterprise and 
Scotty says, you know, they're under attack from some sort of heat beams coming from the planet's surface. So Andrew's trying to bring down the Enterprise too. The landing party have about 12 hours to go and find the well, source. Just on that boat. though, did he say, yeah, because he had about enough energy to survive 12 hours of it, but did he say it was also holding him like a bit like, what is it in Star Wars, the big um, planet thing, the big starship, I don't know, the big... The Death, the Death Star? The Death Star. The Death Star. Like a tractor beam. Yeah, he was in some sort of hold as well, like what the Death Star used to do. I think because he said we can't break away anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think would, part of it was they, they had to basically divert all power to their shields, to, I think, to try and stop from being destroyed by these heat rays. Yeah, yeah. So I think like, the, yeah, the shields are keeping them from being destroyed, but since all the energy are in the shields, they don't have enough energy to get to move the ship. Speaking of of how resistant they are to heat, didn't they last episode with the time travel weren't they like slingshotting around the sun? Yeah, mm. so they should be fairly heat resistant if they can do that. Mm. So we learned that the landing party have got to go and find the source of this beam and take it out within 12 hours otherwise the enterprise will be destroyed. Uh, Landru appears in the room suddenly as a, like a hologram or Spock calls it a, a projection. Or a bad memory. <laughs> <laughs> so how would you describe Landru? He's got big, well, almost 80s. Start, yeah, yeah. The first thing I said was like, what's the guy with the 80s haircut? Like he was an 80s haircut, wasn't he? Yeah. Like, he could have been jumping in for, um, you know, bass guitar for Alice Cooper or someone like at any point or yeah yeah wasn't as big as like the poison guys in 80s big bigger hair but a lot of hairspray though so it's sort yeah. of short compared to poison but it's real like 80s big, pop star yeah. hair he needed a Wham. guitar yeah Wham-ish. yeah due to bog but then he had okay um a 70s singlet oh uh, sorry skivvy yeah I'm like he's a bit well, the 80s hadn't happened yet, so he was visionary. He was visionary. Oh, no, right. He just wasn't sure which, yeah. Um, Kirk tries to explain that they mean no harm and they're on a mission of peace, but it's clear the Landry projection is just a recording and can't hear Kirk. Uh, there's a squealing noise suddenly that rises in pitch as the landing party begin to lose consciousness. Mm. Consciousness. Mm-hmm. But we never got, like, that was the other thing I asked, I felt, because that was made a mention earlier in the episode, I thought, was the infection and how he said the, uh, we never got to the bottom of what the infection is or was. Was this like a metaphorical infection? That yeah. If they yeah. weren't taken in as part of the body there. I, and I think free will society. is the infection. Is the infection. Very good, Emily. That's, Excellent, Emily. Yeah. It's like a real euphemism to um, groups, societies and groups of people in general. You free thinker, you goddamn infection. <laughs> That's basically it. There's a bit of talk here later about how yeah, how this society doesn't have, yeah, doesn't mm. have any free will, doesn't have any creativity and therefore it's not a Has great no place soul. to live in. Yeah. <laughs> Kirk awakes later in a stone dungeon with tor- lit with torches and uh, he finds his phaser is gone. He wakes up Spock and the other crew. A lawgiver comes to the door and brings McCoy and the crewman in, and another crewman into the cell. 
Uh, McCoy is in this Landrew trance now and doesn't recognize Kirk and talks about him being not of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, two lawgivers enter to take Kirk and Spock asks McCoy, you know, what will happen to Kirk? McCoy says, uh, he goes to joy, peace and tranquility. He goes to meet Landrew. Uh, we find Kirk standing against uh, some kind of device with his hands sort of shackled to the Yeah, wall. the locks go. And yeah. it goes across his wrists. <laughs> and then a man enters. He's dressed kind of like a priest with orange robes. He's about to baptise him. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's definitely... There's definitely some sort of statement about organising <laughs> in this. Especially with the robe, you're like, oh. This man greets the lawgivers saying, I am Marplon. It is that your hour. It. Happy Marplon. communing. And the lawgivers leave as Marplon heads into a control room and activates some kind of beam. Plays with his buttons. Yeah. <laughs> Pushes on the knobs. Of Marplon. Mm. Um, back in the cell, the lawgivers come for Spock. Spock gets led into this chamber. He sees Landrew. He sees Kirk wandering around in this Landrew trance. And he greets Spock by placing an arm over his chest and saying, Joy to you, friend, as he's led out of the room. And then Spock's shackled to this device. And uh, Marplon lets Spock go as soon as the lawgivers are out of the room, out of sight. And he reveals that he's the third man in uh, Rager's triad. Uh, we've been waiting for you. You are in fulfilment of the prophecy. And he gives Spock uh, the phases back. Oh, yeah. And tells Spock, he pulls them out of his sleeve yeah, like yeah. some weird magician. Here's your, here's your here's weapons. Your weapons. You yeah. might need these. And then uh, the lawgivers come back in and he quickly tells Spock, you know, act, act like you saw the captain do. We find out later that Kirk was acting too. So back in the cell, um, Kirk and Spock, try discussing quietly, you know, some sort of plan or trying to figure out what's happening. Mm. But McCoy is really under this trance and he becomes suspicious and asks them, why are they speaking in strange whispers? This is not of Landrew. And then Kirk plays it up and talks about joy and, and peace and McCoy. And tranquility and friends. Yeah, 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 he did too play it right up. And McCoy smiles immediately. He loves it. Mm. Um. Kirk leads Spock and the other crewmen away and they figured out that uh, Landrew is some sort of computer and Kirk wants to turn Landrew off. And this is our first mention of the prime directive in Star Trek. Spock, Spock, Spock mentions this and doesn't want to interfere. So basically, and it's talked a lot in Next Generation, their prime directive is they don't interfere, interfere with primitive cultures. Oh, so okay. if, if they land on a planet, and I guess that's why they're in dis- in disguise. They don't want to, um, you know, mess with the history of a planet before they've got up to um, warp speed, space mm-hmm. flight, or mm-hmm. faster than warp. And Kirk basically says that prime directive only applies to living things. It doesn't apply to a computer. Oh, fair enough. Ethical question. It is an ethical question, yeah. Uh, Rager and Marplon enter and when uh, Kirk starts talking to them, McCoy sort of figures out they're all not of the body and starts screaming traitors and calls the lawgivers. He tries to uh, to strangle Kirk, but Kirk eventually knocks him out. Uh, and there's a bit of a scuffle, there's a fight when two lawgivers enter and 
Kirk and Spock punch them out. Um, and then Kirk says that's a bit old school. And yeah. It's something like that. So that was the best line. He's used to Spock <laughs> using his Vulcan martial yeah. arts and doing like the nerve he pinch. Did the, like heavyweight right hook. <laughs> Bang. Kirk asks Marplon and Rager to take them to Landru, but suddenly they're freaked out and they say, you know, they do not see him. They only hear him in the hall of audiences. In Kirk. Of which, ironically, when they got there, no one was in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, there appeared to be about 12 people in this entire town. Yeah. Yeah. Hall of audience, which has a lot of empty seats. <laughs> well, I assume it's like an, having an audience with the Pope or something yeah, like that. Or uh, audience of, there's maybe some Wizard of Oz qualities to this episode, except, <laughs> except this guy does actually have lawgivers with sticks that can kill people. So they start to wuss out and get cold feet and Kirk tells them to snap out of it and start acting like men. Teaspoon of cement, fellas. <laughs> Harden up. Harden the fuck up. <laughs> um, they check in with Scotty and tell him to put a guard on Sulu. They probably should have done that a while back, I'm thinking. Yeah. Like, because you got this possessed guy yeah, loose on the ship. he could have kicked off at any stage. Yeah, yeah. But then, then Scotty even goes, are you sure on Sulu? <laughs> now Kirk was like, yeah, that's a direct order, <laughs> captain's order. He, <laughs> hey? <laughs> he pulled the authority card early on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Enterprise has about six hours left until it burns up now. Uh, Kirk reasons with Marplon and says, you, you said you wanted freedom and it's time you learned that freedom is never a gift. It has to be earned. There's a couple of good lines in this episode, I think. Uh, Rager starts freaking out and uh, Spock nerve pinches him. So we get to see yeah, the nerve pinch. It wasn't real old school, that one. It was like the <laughs> subtle, doot, and then just laid him down on the concrete couch. <laughs> Very effective. <laughs> so Marplon takes Spock and Kirk to the Hall of Audiences. Kirk yells, uh, Landru, we are the Archons. We come to speak to you. And then the Landru projection appears on the wall. Landrew says, despite my efforts to save you, you have invaded the body and you are causing great harm. Obliteration is necessary. It is a great sorrow. All who saw you, all who know of your presence here must be excised. Um, Kirk tries to reason with Landrew again, but Spock reminds him, no, remember it's, this projection's just a projection again. Um, Kirk says, uh, yes, Mr. Spock, let's have a look at the projector. And they pull out their phases and fire at the projection and blow a hole in the wall. And we the see the cleanest hole in the wall you've ever seen, by the way. Like after the phases. After, oh, right. So the phases burn whatever <laughs> substance it is. So there's not even some dirt on the ground, like yeah, not yeah, even yeah. dust. It's like, <laughs> wow. Vaporized. That's, like, <laughs> that's a piece of technology, isn't it? Oh, hell yeah. And they reveal through the hole in the room there's a giant computer. Well, probably not a giant computer. And 1960 standard, that's probably a laptop. Cardboard box with some buttons. But, <laughs> <laughs> but then everyone in the audience gasped <laughs> in sheer surprise that it was a computer. <laughs> I reckon they needed a twist there. Yeah, it wasn't a computer. It. Yeah, I reckon yeah. they needed it. Like, I don't know. It would have been good if it was like a polar bear or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's a real twist. Yeah, if like, it was a polar bear, this would be the that. greatest episode of Star Trek of all time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah like, Imagine that. Yeah. 
Uh, so they prepare to shoot the computer uh, when the computer starts talking as Landru and neutralizes their phases and says, I am Landru. Uh, Kirk tries to reason with the computer and says, you know, Land- you're not Landru. Landru died 6,000 years ago. Kirk debates with the computer for a bit. Uh, the computer has Landru's knowledge but not his wisdom. Or his soul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he liked reinforcing that, didn't he? You got no soul, buddy. <laughs> you got no soul. Or lips. <laughs> or toenails. <laughs> hey, left a lot of things everything. out. Yeah, I'm like, hey, he doesn't often need to shave. Give him that. It's a computer. Right. So there's positives. There's yeah, he was pointing out all the negatives. Like, he just wrote him on his soul. I'm like, <laughs> you know, like 60,000 years, he hasn't had to change his shoes. Like, that's pretty good. <laughs> so he's upgraded. Yeah. Um, yeah, the computer keeps saying that the prime directive is the good of the body and Spock's onto this, so that's the key. Um, Kirk puts the computer puts to the computer that he is damaging the body and the computer freaks out and says, insufficient data, I'm not programmed to answer your questions. And Kirk convinces the computer that it is the evil that must must be destroyed to fulfil the prime directive. So we have the first mention of Starfleet's prime directive, but also um, in contrast, the computer's Landrew's prime directive, maintaining peace and order and then the computer didn't that when the computer actually asked for help. Yeah, he said, help me, help me, help me. <laughs> and where was Captain Kirk's compassion in that moment? I know, yeah. He just stood by while that poor computer destroyed this poor organism, yeah, destroyed the self society, distracted because of his sixteen-year-old <laughs> debating question. <laughs> <laughs> like, you got him on a technicality here. <laughs> I love how it's very Doctor Who, this. Probably very everything early sci-fi, but I love how if you give a computer something it can't compute, something it can't process, then it just Just smokes and sparks and blows up. It's like, oh, that's the... (laughs) It doesn't just blue screen. Yeah. (laughs) Just turn it off and turn it on again. We'll be right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and I love that. The computer's desperate. Help me, help me. And they just stood there. (laughs) No help. Heartless starship guys. Yeah, not even a fire extinguisher, exactly. And uh, they... Capital punishment, pretty. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it? Like... (laughs) (laughs) They check in with the Enterprise and... The Enterprise is safe and Sulu's back to normal and he just smiles and shrugs. <laughs> and how about, though, before we went, they checked into the Enterprise, as I said, we were watching it, that look, that smug look of self-satisfaction oh, on oh, Kurt's yeah. face <laughs> when, the, when he cooked that computer and he's like, right, I'm done here. I'm going. You can look after things, Mar- Marplon or whatever his name was. And I'm like standing there going, what the fuck I mean, yeah, this is like <laughs> 6,000 years. So but this I'm, is literally, yeah. it's not like these people used to have normal lives and then the computer took over and brainwashed them. They've, this right. is the only life they've ever known <laughs> for generations. No, he's, now poor old Marflon's got to bring a law in that's, that puts locks them up when they have festival. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, they're all just got, as a habit, they're like... <laughs> It's like Christmas. And it'd be all these people saying, oh, it's tradition. It's yeah. always been tradition. Yeah. We need to have our festival. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that would be too. Oh, no. 
I'd, I'd be pretty smug too. Like this laptop in front of me, if I could make it explode <laughs> just, just by putting it. forward a good argument, <laughs> I'd be pretty. I'd be pretty pumped. I don't know. He's out. Of, it's like that authority that I just come in and fix things because I think that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. And that's wrong. And then once I've fixed the problem, I just leave. Yep. You know, that's it's, basically isn't it. that what's happened in the Middle East a few times when the Americans <laughs> yep. go in and yeah, bomb sorry everything about that. and say, "Right, we've fixed the problem now, goodbye." <laughs> <laughs> and then sorry, our, our American co-hosts. <laughs> no, well, yeah, sorry, I should have. Hashtag well, not, we're part of it. Hashtag so, not all Americans. Yeah, yeah, but we're part of it, aren't we? This is how we get the media down here. Isn't yeah, we? Australians. If there's a war on, we're Americans involved in Australians mm. just jump on. I mean us as well. Yeah. We're there to help um, liberate people and bring bring peace, we're all <laughs> freedom. Just, we're all just suffering the Captain Kirk effect. That's it. <laughs> just want to go and fix things. And that's, yeah, he basically said, yeah, <laughs> like you said, he just goes, oh, well, good luck with that marble on, bye. Mm. Have fun with that, mate. <laughs> um, so let me know, I'll send you a UPS. I <laughs> want <laughs> <laughs> the next one to melt down. <laughs> Uh, we get the Enterprise heading off from the planet. Kirk updates his captain's log and it is actually being responsible. He says sociologist Lindstrom is remaining behind mm-hmm. with a party of experts who will help restore the planet's culture to human form. Um, Spock is marvelling over the tremendous feature, feat of engineering that the original Landru created in that computer and Spock's yeah, after all the terrible stuff they've been through with this computer, Spock's still pumped up. You know, imagine being able to build a computer that was capable of directing the lives of millions of human beings. Um, Kirk adds that it was only a machine and that, you know, original Andrew programmed, programmed it with all his knowledge, but he couldn't give it his, his wisdom, wisdom, compassion, his, soul. his understanding or his soul. Yeah. Hammered that home, didn't they? Yep. Over and over. Yep. <laughs> So, yeah, this episode is about free will and having a soul, having creativity versus and updating scary computers regularly. controlling you. Yeah, <laughs> 6,000 years is starting every hour to date. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, Spock replies, you know, it's pre- uh, he doesn't like this soul comment or doesn't care for it. He says, you know, predictably metaphysical. I prefer the concrete, the graspable, the provable. And Kirk turns to Spock and says, you'd make a splendid computer. And boom, boom, tish. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> Spock's like- delighted. He loves it. He's never had a greater compliment. And Spock closes with how often mankind has wished for a world as peaceful and secure as the one Landry provided. And Kirk replies, yes, and we never got it. Just luckily, I guess. Roll oh. credits. Who gave Kirk all his wisdom? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there you go. It was a weird one, Dooney, to, to it was. bring you into there the was fight. <laughs> That's what I was forgetting. Jeez. <laughs> I was, and as we said, we watched it with your wife and a friend, and when it hit the festival bit, I was like, what the? <laughs> <laughs> And luckily, they took the pressure off by calling it a rape festival. So I was like, this is yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife left just as we we're about to start podcasting. She said, well, have fun. Enjoy the rape festival. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it did have a theme and the theme, theme was problematic. That. It was. 
Yeah, I might jump leaping out of the shop window. Might as well have yelled, "This is problematic." <laughs> yeah. Well, like I just sort of kept expecting the festival to be explained or come back or be mentioned again in the second half of the episode, which it just isn't. Yeah, that's right. And so it leaves this sort of bizarre. For all this episode, like it is surprising. This episode is, I mean especially for the mm. 60s like really anti-religion and with all of the you are not of the body thing mm. just like directly kind of i don't i mean th- that seems very like christian the whole because of the um body of, oh, body of christ the, the church. yeah the body of christ but also and yeah, the, the the church, like the body, is is made up of of many members. And there's the whole uh, the Corinthians, if the foot s- says, "Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body," is it therefore not of the body? So when I hear like that's immediately what I think of is Christianity, which seems really strange for for a 1960s show. Yeah, and it must have been, like they had everything had to be sort of. You know, cloaked and definitely not overt to get past the network and to actually get mm. made. Mm. This stuff is pretty closely treading a line. I think it's it, like it's, it's definitely. So this is based on a story by Gene Roddenberry. He's definitely it definitely looks like he set out to say I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do a so an episode on religion. I think yeah, really? Well, no, I'm, I'm just sorry. Oh. Do you, do you think that's the case? Or? Oh, mate, from the first bit. Like just even when they're wandering around zombies and that, you're thinking, oh yeah, it's either yep. a, a dig at society as a whole or religion. And the fact that the law givers wore gowns like they were religious, and that, you know, all the cross, the grey areas in yep. societies, and definitely Marplon at the end in his in sort his of robes with the trim, robe, definitely like, yeah, a, like a priest. So um, yeah, no, it was it was like it. I guess you get away with it because they're in a different world. Yeah. And I get back in this. Yeah. And honestly, the people that are high ups in those sort of organisations don't see it if it's presented as someone else. And that's what every prejudice comes from. Yeah. You yeah. Know? We're not the same. That's their bad. We're good, even though we're doing the same thing. Like it's, yeah. So I'd say that's how they got it passed, just presented as an outer world fiction. And they all went, oh, yeah, that's just science fiction. Well, that's that's generally how they sort of do it. If they want to talk about racism, mm. okay, you talk, you get two different alien species mm. that don't get along. You have one of them's green, the other one's purple, and and then you can sort of talk about those issues, which were pretty hot issues in the '60s in America. But also, though, like we pick it up probably because now we live in an information age. In the '60s, it was so much different. Yeah, and you were yep. so That's your, true. your brain was wired just to go with what people in robes and that said, like with the authority said. Yeah, yeah. So I just, yeah, I don't know. Like maybe you know, like Hollywood, there might have been some clever people around, but I kind of feel like I'd seen a few things like that that seemed to get through, and they just in the moment back in the sixties, no one probably even picked it up too much. Yeah, yeah. I can hear you watch it now 50 years later and you're like, holy dooly, there's a bit of a statement come through. Yeah, there. yeah. Or even they're not even trying to make a statement because it's just that bloody obvious. They're so, just probably emulating what's happening in the world. So what, what do you think we're meant to take from this 
avoid organised religion, run from run for the hills. Anarchy's <laughs> the way to go, mate. <laughs> Chaos. Oh, but we get a pretty we get a pretty clear demonstration of anarchy at festival time. But it's like an organised anarchy. The clock hits it. That's not anarchy, is it? Like anarchy's oh, like oh, I don't feel like burning. It's festival, scheduled man. anarchy. Yeah, schedule it in, <laughs> and then you must stop because yeah. It's pretty fucking terrifying. Oh, I don't know. It's not a good ad for anarchy. <laughs> no, no, that's not. That's abuse. Um, yeah, no, I don't think the festival was anarchy, but um, I don't know. What do you take from it? That's like think for yourself. <laughs> that's yeah. I think that's it. So maybe is it not intellect is no replacement for wisdom. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's not just um, religion in that. It just seems to be any sort of groups yeah. yeah just totalitarian control mm. any scenario where you take away people's free will have you got any thoughts on the return of the archons emily i mean it was definitely it was going for something i i don't know how well it gets there but i do feel for all its kind of weirdness and it's definitely looking at it you know now some really problematic stuff. It was pretty ambitious in in what it was trying to say. Mm. Yeah. Aside from everything it was kind of pointing out, you know, as we say about totalitarianism and all that, I kind of, the biggest bit I have the issue with is, as I said, Kirk saves the day and he's so smug and self-satisfied. Oh, that's, that's every like, episode of Star Trek. I know. It's just like. Seriously, and this is what is emulated to people, as in that's what you strive, and you're like, really? Who's given you the idea that you're the guy that saves universe, like, and that it's any more right or wrong than anyone else? Yeah. Star Trek, especially the original series, but probably most of Star Trek has a a big white saviour problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point, isn't it? Yeah. I think so. I've only just seen this, Robert. I'm like, yeah. I don't think, like, yeah, in Next Generation, like Captain Picard, you wouldn't see him being all smug. Well, like that. yeah, but right. I mean, but it's still, he's but, doing the same stuff. He's just a lot less of an asshole about it. He's, more he's not, so, about he's it. not yeah. so much, I'm the guy. Yeah, yeah. but it, but it still is definitely, you know, the, 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 guys. the, the we, are, <laughs> yeah. we are the higher intellectual like evolved yeah. society that knows what's best for you yeah yeah that's a good point instead of just figuring it out yourself oh yeah it'll be interesting to see how this new picard series how they play that sort of stuff from now on well the ultimate help isn't it if you're strong enough to go saving people the ultimate help is to give them autonomy or give whatever you're helping autonomy yeah, and yeah. he didn't seem to be doing that. He's just like, I just get rid of the acute problem because I'm a hero. Yeah, yeah. And then I split because <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't care less about you. you know, it's like, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. It just it'd be interesting if they did a follow up on the on the return of the Archons. Yeah, I could have a see see how the Landrews are doing. <laughs> like episode, like poor old Marplan might have been. Who knows? He might have shot himself three weeks later. It's too much. <laughs> he misses the old ways. What, what's Tula like, doing now? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Who that's knows? right. Um, occasionally we get that because there's so many later seasons of Star Trek. Occasionally they'll do an episode where they do address like one of the classic episodes. Yeah, right. 
I wonder if maybe even one of the novels or comics will have to do a bit of a dig and see if there's any mention of the Archon. Yeah, they pull up some <laughs> weird things in some of the books, like things you'd never expect yeah. them to come back to. My good friend Dooney, where can we follow you on the social media interwebs? Oh, on my Landrew computer, <laughs> the internet. Um, yeah, I think that's the only place I'm on is a Facebook page at Dooney One Hundred One. At Dooney One Hundred One. Yeah, D O O N Y One Hundred One. Search for Dooney. Very, very funny lad. Um, so Dooney. Um, Destroy Christmas a few nights ago on stage <laughs> at Hay Bar. Very good. Emily Lind, how can we follow you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at EF Lind. That's at E-F-L-I-N-D. And I also do a Star Wars podcast with my friend Brittany Brown, where sometimes we manage to actually even talk about Star Wars, but it's also a lot about food and Ben Mendelsohn and movies and other things that aren't Star Wars because... Nothing's happening in Star Wars right now. Oh, you got a big year coming up, 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be good. There's new Is there something? Episode 9. Oh, right. Into Star Wars, Dooney? No, I wouldn't say I'm into it. <laughs> so you I know, know it exists. I probably... I do a couple of jokes about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know it exists. You can follow us at He's Dead Jim Pod. Uh, we're on all your favourite social medias. Uh, send us an email, he'sdeadjimpod at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you. I think that's about it for this week. We did well. What was it? About three hours with Nick Carr. So you did well. Very concise. <laughs> Murdering. <laughs> Only Same kept Emily up till about midnight. Or was, that was what I was conscious of. But <laughs> <laughs> like, the whiskey will start kicking in and we'll just be hearing snores. Well, as we've discussed, uh, Emily's got to head out to Studio 54 now and just cut sick on the dance floor. <laughs> <Yes>, because, <laughs> because what time all is it with you references there? are. It's, it's 20 till 12. Oh, that's yeah. cool. The night is but young. Uh, sorry, all my references are no, awesome. I was going to say, no. Like 50 years out of date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about that. So where do you cut sick in New York now? I am the wrong person to ask. <laughs> I don't know about that, Emily. I've heard stories and I've heard fables that you're vicious on the mic and the turntables. <laughs> Can you confirm or deny this? No comment. <laughs> so elusive. <laughs> Everyone, until next time, thank you very much, Dooney, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Champion. Cheers. Thanks so Thanks much. All the best for your wild Christmas gigs. Can't wait to <laughs> hear you break a few people's hearts about Christmas. There's still time left in the year. Um, can we remember our sign-off? How, how do you feel about our new sign-off, uh, Emily? We haven't had a meeting about this. Well, it's slightly awkward in that we have to take about five minutes to remember it and explain it every week. <laughs> Until next time, keep, keep the star trends alive. <laughs> Thanks, so Emily. Cool. Are we are we pro of that outro or not? I I mean, we don't have anything better. Excellent. Let's go with that. <laughs>